Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I am thrilled about our guest on the show today because today's episode is all about play. Gary Ware is the author of Playful Rebellion, Maximize Workplace Success Through the Power of Play, and he is trailblazing a path to influence people and organizations to infuse more play to evoke more creativity, innovation, and joy. And he gives us the necessary tools and frameworks to do so. However, I originally met Gary as my level two improv teacher back in 2018. I had originally signed up for improv because I wanted to do something fun and something different and something that belonged to me. And those two hours a week of play helped me see myself in a different and more expansive light. There truly is power in play. And Gary makes the case for us all to be more intentional about not letting the playful parts of ourselves get lost. Over the course of our conversation, we get into the consequences of play deprivation and why, as adults, we tend to lose our sense of play and how we get it back. We also talk about using play as a tool to create space for all voices and navigate differences more effectively, and also how leaders can cultivate and model more play and some tactics that can be used to start small. I hope you'll learn a lot from our conversation, both about yourself and how to infuse more play into your work, teams, and life. And you won't want to miss Gary's book, Playful Rebellion. I'm so glad you're here. Before we dive into our conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Gary Ware. Gary is a creative yet strategic play consultant with a vision of helping others integrate more play in their daily lives. By day, Gary helps companies and professionals level up their play skills, and by night, he is an improv comedian. Among all of Gary's passions, his favorite one is helping people become the best versions of themselves through fun and entertainment. Gary founded his company, Breakthrough Play, with a desire to share all the ways that we can incorporate play into our lives and experiences, from relationships to confidence to creativity. I am so glad you are here to talk with us today, Gary. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah, so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because I know you have so many good things to share with us today that could really have the potential to change the way we show up and really the way we live our daily lives and bring more joy on purpose. So before we dive in, why don't you tell me a little bit about you? I mean, there's the proper bio and everything and breakthrough play. So who do you serve? How do you serve them? Give us a little more info. All right. I will give you the origin story. So like what you mentioned, um, one of my superpowers is um, improvisation. And that was something that I discovered later in life. However, if you were to ask my mom, she would say I was making things up since I can talk. But yeah, my my background as far as training is in marketing and communications. I always thought uh, my career trajectory were was to you know be like um, you know what you see on TV in Mad Men, and then eventually own my own shop, which I did, and you know failed miserably. And it wasn't until 
like I said, I got into improv that I realized a part of me was dormant and that was play. Um, Cause I always thought, well, you know, play is something that uh, kids do or something that you can only do after you finish all your work. And I would just show up almost like a, a shell of myself masking and, and showing up what I thought people wanted to see as quote unquote professional Gary. And then once I took that improv class, as you know, you had similar experience, I realized, wow, so much can happen when you allow yourself to play. And I, and I realized that so much was starting to shift in my life as far as how I communicated, how I walked through the world. And then I started incorporating that into you know, my day to day. I would bring these improv games to my team and I really start diving in into, you know, this concept called play and, you know, how adults can really leverage it. And it wasn't until I had a business relationship that went south and I was at the crossroads of life, like, oh, what do I do next? That I decided, oh, maybe being a facilitator is what my real calling is. And so, and here we are. I love that you turned passion into your daily work and you're making so many people better for it. Thank you for telling that story. And now I want to shift into, holy cow, you wrote a book and it's coming out. It's called Playful Rebellion, Maximize Success Through the Power of Play. I want to spend some time really getting into, first of all, I loved this book. I loved its practical application. I loved how I could see myself already starting to ideate around how I can infuse more play and be a better parent, leader, person as a result. So start off by telling us about the playful rebellion. Where did the idea come from and why do you think we need it now? All right. So as I mentioned, play was that thing that I I kept sort of gravitating towards. However, Part of me felt guilty. You know, I, I would read all these books on why play is essential to our well-beings, especially as adults, how it can connect us, how it can make us more resilient, all of these things. And then putting it into practical application was such a challenge because of conditioning. <laughs> you know, we've been conditioned that a few things. One, that there is one right right answer. You know, when you're in class, um, you know, your teacher's like, yep, this is right, this is wrong. Um, fun fact, by the time that we are 18, we've heard the word no over 160,000 times. So, you know, wow. when you hear no that many times, it starts to ingrain in your head. And it, I was like, why is this so challenging? Like, I know play is essential, but I find myself, everything I start, like, yes, I see it as a playground of possibilities. I bring my playful whole self. But then somehow along this journey, I start seeing it as a proving ground. Like, I need to prove to myself, I need to prove to others that I'm worthy, that I am good enough. And that play goes away, and it becomes stressful. And it and so the whole thing about the playful rebellion is that if we want to reap the benefits of play, we need to rebel playfully against the status quo, against our conditioning. So that is the whole concept of the book. And it's everything that I've learned um, up until this point that I've been practicing you know, myself. And it's, and it's from, you know, reading tons and tons of books, having mentor after mentor, and the things that have worked for me in, you know, as far as creating an environment where I can thrive and where I can be my playful whole self. Oof, I love 
all of that. I think that's why I was so drawn to have you on the show too, is this idea like nothing is binary. There is not this yes, no, everything is, is a playground. As you say, everything in technicolor, as we say here on the Trailblazing Color podcast, it's how do you just create this level of openness in yourself that didn't exist before? Ooh, it's so good. Well, I want to bring up something you share in the book, which is the opposite of play isn't working. It is depression. Oh, I feel that. I know so many of us feel that, especially as we've got data coming out this year around the great resignation and toxic culture and so many things that really contribute to making us feel this level of depression. And yet as adults, as you mentioned, we tend to lose our sense of play. Why do we lose it? And how the heck do we get it back? Yes. Hey, if you are enjoying the show, be sure you subscribe and join our community at trailblazingincolor.com where we share resources, connect you with other amazing trailblazers in our trailblazer circles, and amplify our collective power. Hope we see you there. Okay, back to the show. So for if you're listening and you're like, what do you mean the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression? Because think about work. When you're working, and you're really, and you get lost in it, and time goes by like that, and you're finding it a fun challenge. You're actually playing. There's research to suggest that uh, getting in a flow light state is very similar to playing. And so, you know, for those of you who think, oh, we have to delineate between work and play, no, it is a blurred line. Like you said, it is a rainbow. When we uh, cease to play, uh, we are going through what is called play deprivation. And uh, Dr. Stuart Brown, he wrote in an amazing book on play. He was the one who mentioned that. And and it rang true to me of like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because I'm hiding part of myself. I'm trying to be whatever people want me to be. You know, I'm stressing myself out. Yeah, I'm not playing. And I'm getting, you know, burnt out. That's where it's all coming from. And so you're absolutely right with the great resignation. People who are not seeing their work as play are like, no, forget this. I thought we, you know, I thought that was the status quo and we had to just suck it up. But realizing there are so many other opportunities out there where we can see the work as play. And so if this is ringing true to you and you're like, where do I start? First and foremost, I like to say that you are not broken. Uh, I thought I was broken. I, I was like, what is wrong with me? On paper, I have all the things that I dreamed of. Why am I not happy? And then I started to say, you know, oh, I'm a millennial. I'm one of those, you know, ungrateful millennials and I should just suck it up. And I realized, no, it is the lens in which we are seeing the world. And so first and foremost, we need to realize that we're not broken. You're perfect just the way that you are. And if you change the way that you look at things, the things that you look at change. And that is the first thing. So we need to start to realize, oh, all right, we've been sold this bad bill of goods that said, oh, we just need to suck it up and, and you know, we can't act a certain way at work. No, Let, you know, let's just throw that away. And first and foremost, give yourself permission to be playful. In her book, Super Better, uh, author Jane McGonigal talks about the difference between people that 
reap the benefits of play and playfulness and people who are playful and, and play all the time. And then, you know, it's their demise. It's their purpose and intention. So if you are the type of person that wants to utilize play and playfulness for good, you're going to reap the benefits. However, if you see it only as an escape, an escape from doing the things that matter, the things that are important, you're going to turn to it just like any other addictive behavior instead of doing the things um, that is necessary. Uh, you know, play is just one activity. You know, you can look at people that uh, work out and, and, and they work out excessively. And sometimes that can be a bad thing because they're not doing the things that they need to do. And they turn to working out, turn into food, turn into binge watching TV. All things can be, you know, used for bad. But play, we are wired for play. We are what are called neotenous creatures, which means that we retain our juvenile features into adulthood. And play is one of those features that when embraced and, and taken to, you know, sort of jumped into, we can use it for amazing things. I think about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, so much, but one of the core ideas there is around consistency over intensity. And like you were saying, we think that we have to go from zero to hundred in terms of, I'm not playing at all. Now I have to flip all this, flip these switches and, and become a different person. No, it's these small ways that you integrate it into your day, your week, your life. So can you share maybe just a couple of low hanging fruit tactics that you recommend to start? Yes. First and foremost, play is a state, state of mind that you jump into freely, is uncoerced. And so if you're having a challenge getting into that, take a moment and sort of reflect back, you know, are you overly stressed? You know, what's going on? And most likely it's probably stress and, you know, it's, it's probably guilt and, and all these things that are barriers to play. And I like to say, give yourself a break. Uh, you probably need to rest first. And in my book, I talk about the different types of rest up until, you know, diving into the research to write my book. I thought there was just one type of rest, you know, you, you sleep, you know, and that, and that's it. And that's not the case. Uh, sleep, yes, that is one type of rest that is called um, macro, as in, you know, however many hours of sleep you get per night. I'm not one to advocate that everyone needs a certain amount. You know, you do what's best for you. My main thing is, is that restful sleep? Are you really, you know, going to bed, waking up rest, you know, restful? If not, you know, something needs to change there. Maybe you need to um, have some wind down routines, you know, to help you really dive into that. Once you are starting to be rested, you are more likely to be able to engage in play. And I love what you were talking about when you were mentioning uh, James Clear. You know, what are some tiny steps that you can do? So I tell people, get rested first. That's important. And next is what we call micro rest. And these are the rest throughout the day. After a meeting, what is your routine after a meeting? What is your routine before a meeting? Those are perfect moments to incorporate rest, but I like to call it, you know, playful moments. Uh, for me, um, after I finish a meeting, um, I take a moment, um, I get away from my desk, I walk about. If the weather is nice, I'll, I'll go outside, you know, get some vitamin D. Um, I have a five year old son. I might take some time to engage with him. You know, what is it for you? 
What are the things that you can do that's going to bring you joy? And checking your email or scrolling social media should not be on that list during this time. <laughs> um, and so that is the micro. And then there is a thing called mezzo. And mezzo is where you actually step away from the work. Well, this is a vacation. You know, this might be a sabbatical. Uh, one thing that I'm putting into practice is on Fridays, um, you know, having some time to just step away from the work, engage in something that's going to spark joy, um, help me be creative. It can be anything. Um, so those are, you know, that's a really great framework. And if you're looking at this, you're like, all right, cool. All right. All right. I understand the different types, but how am I going to put this into my already busy schedule? And you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, when you were saying it's better to be consistent and, and do it little by little than trying to like be 110%. And I like to say more often than not. And um, in my book, I reference uh, BJ Fogg. He's a researcher at our Stanford, and he wrote this amazing book called Tiny Habits. And he says, create recipes. Because if this is not something that you consistently do, it's going to be hard to incorporate it into your environment. So you need to develop triggers. And so a recipe is very simple. What is the triggering event? Like take, for example, after a meeting. And what is the thing that you want to do? And how will it make you feel? And then celebrate it. So for example, a recipe may be after I finish a meeting, I will take five minutes to play Scrabble because it will help me rejuvenate. Boom, you know, simple. That is just something that you can start to apply so that you can start to get more accustomed to adding playfulness in your day-to-day. -day. Mm, I love the idea of a recipe because it allows you to be that much more proactive than reactive. When we're in reactive mode, we're not making our best decisions, but we, when we have something already in place, we, we know what we're going to do. We just got to do it. We don't have to think about it. It's not another decision we have to make so much decision fatigue, we already have the plan and now we just need to execute. That seems way lower as far as a barrier to entry than, than changing everything to incorporate play everywhere. I really like that. So to that point, you have a recipe, you might be thinking, well, what do I do? I, I have no idea. Like, yes, I want to be playful, but I'm not even sure how to play. What you need to do at that point is take what is called a play history. What are the things that you used to do when you were younger that brought you joy that you could do just for the sake of doing it and start to categorize those things and do what I like to call is create a playlist. What are some things that, especially when you're in a, you know, the right state of mind, when you're in a playful, more upbeat state of mind, you're more likely to be able to generate these ideas, start to write them down so that when you are in one of those low energy states, you don't have to think about it. You just pull out the playlist. Oh, I have 10 minutes. All right, cool. Oh, jacks. All right, cool. You know, for me, um, it was Legos. And I, I have within an arm's reach uh, a bag of Legos. And I, if I need some time, boom, I, I whip out these Legos. Um, I start building. Again, I'm not necessarily trying to build anything in particular. It's just allow my hands to be moving. And... Boom, I set a time limit. All right, when I'm done, I feel good. I sort of check in with my body and then I move I move forward. Hmm. And uh, I love the play on words, playlist. <laughs> and it's so true when we have this open mindset to be able to go back and be reflective on what did bring me joy 
as a kid. For me, I was such an avid reader that to other people, reading doesn't sound like play. But for me, taking a 10-minute break to read something that inspires me, that just invigorates me, that is play for me. And so when I can remember that and take a break, I, I feel so much better. And that is one of the play personalities is a storyteller. Uh, Dr. Stuart Brown um, in his book, he talks about different play personalities and the storyteller is one of them. And if you like to get lost in books and fantasy and make-believe worlds, that is play. Hmm. Um, yeah, so we don't instinctively think of that. So it's like, what are the things that we're forgetting about that we've lost in, in the journey that we need to get back to, to reconnect to self? It's so important. On this show, we talk a lot about creating inclusive cultures and how do we spread this to make workplaces better? And I love how in the book you frame this idea of seeing everything as an offer. Can you tell, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that and how we can use this idea to help us navigate differences more effectively? Yes. And this is something that I learned in my over a decade experience of doing uh, improvisation. And in, in the world of improv, uh, we have this concept called yes and. And what yes and is, as far as being on the stage, is that you have seen partners and they make an offer. Um, you know, they make an initiation. They, they say something. You accept that. And then you build on it. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's great. That allows us to co-create without a script. And that is how you see these brilliant pieces of work on the stage. And you're like, are you sure that wasn't scripted? Now, bringing this to the real life, it's not always easy to say yes to everything. Um, you know, some things it's not possible to say yes to. However, the concept of seeing everything as an offer and, you know, building on it allows you to be creative. Because when you are placed with an opportunity that maybe is not the most favorable and you're not happy about it, well, you're in a negative mindset and then it's it's kind of hard to get creative in that because you're just essentially shutting everything down. You're like, oh my gosh, I wanted it to be this way. It's not this way. Your brain is just not in a place to be creative. And so it is a practice, is very meditative to remind yourself that like, all right, everything's an offer. What can we see in this offer that we can build with? Uh, I will take, for example, um, 2020, <laughs> you know, when we had this global pandemic. Um, I don't think anyone had on their sort of, things that they want to experience a global pandemic. It wasn't on anyone's sort of life cards. However, it was the reality that we were faced with. And so we had a few situations. Um, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not downplaying anything about the pandemic. I'm just saying that um, at the end of the day, you know, what can we do to continue to move forward? And we have to say, all right, this is not ideal. Th however, this is the reality. How can I build on this? Uh, for me, uh, my business went from, you know, doing all of these in-person workshops to nothing overnight. And then, you know, after I sort of was picking up the pieces and like, all right, what do we do with this? I was like, all right, what is the offer in this situation? What can we work with? And then, um, you know, it wasn't ideal to do things virtually. However, I said, well, let's, let's play with this. You know, how can we experiment with this? Again, we are bringing these things that are rooted in play to real world situations. So that is that. Now, bringing it back to workplaces, again, being able to hear everyone's opinion, um, having a space for everyone to bring their voices out there. Again, it may not be your idea. However, how can you um, accept someone's idea, hear it, 
and build on it, work with it. And that is where, uh, you know, far too often organizations, you know, you hear things, well, we haven't done it this way. We've always done it this way or, or, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's a voice that is not normally, you know, said and in their opinion is not necessarily the, you know, most common one. And then it's usually shut down. Well, when you do that, you are essentially telling that person that their voice is not uh, accepted here or their ideas are not welcome. And then with time, they're going to stop contributing and they're not going to feel like they're part of the ensemble, part of the team. And so having a practice of seeing everything as an offer will allow everyone to put their voice into the space and then allow us to build on it and be creative. Allow everyone to put their voice into the space. That is what we are trying to do everywhere. And that's why I think this idea of seeing everything as an offer is so powerful because especially now when we're so quick to jump to division, we need to open up our minds to the fact that there are many, many, many answers to the question that we're asking. And let's look at the big picture and the long-term goal. We want all of these ideas brought to the table because who knows what we're missing when when they're not invited or when they're shut down. And Gary, I know you've worked with many organizations as a strategic play consultant, working with teams to bring more play, infuse more play. Do you have any great examples? Well, I know you do. What are some examples you've had in working with teams to bring play? How do you do it? What changed? Just kind of share with us some of that uh, practice that you've brought into organizations. Yes. So <laughs> I typically say the entry level to me is is usually the team building event offsite. That's typically where people are in the space to say, oh, we want to do something different. And then people say, oh, Gary, can we bring some of that play, you know, into our organization? You know, all right, great. And then, you know, I come in, you know, we we strategize what are our objectives? How do we want people to feel? What do we want them to think? What do we want them to do? And then I create um, experiential activities that will allow them to practice, you know, some of their outcomes in a low stakes environment. That is that is typical. However, that happens few and far between. You know, after it's done, you know, we do a big debrief. Oh, what were the things that we learned? You know, and it's typically people say, wow, we need to do this more often. Yeah. After that, then people are like, well, how do we do that? And so I like to say as a facilitator, I don't have all the answers. You have the answers. I'm just holding space for all these ideas to flourish and then creating a framework for us to experiment. Um, I was working with one organization and this was during the pandemic and they wanted to do something very playful. They typically, you know, did a whole day uh, before where everyone got together, um, but that wasn't possible. So they created a month of play and every week there was a different theme and they created um, opportunities for people to get together. Again, this was, I was just holding the space and I was facilitating a whole bunch of things, but this is something where they were hearing what their team needed, and then they brought it in a playful way. The cool thing about playfulness is that it doesn't have to be, um, you know, super extreme. It could be something very simple as in, well, what are we trying to achieve here? Oh, we want to create this uh, feeling of belonging. All right, cool. Well, before our meetings, what if we did X? All right, cool. Um, And so that is, again, one way of looking at what is your outcome and how can you use play 
as what I like to call like the cheat code to achieving that. And so now a number of my clients, they'll say, we want to train our employees to do X, you know, maybe be more creative or, or uh, communicate better. All right, Gary, how can we create a playful experience where people can practice those skills so that they can be more likely to do them when the stakes are higher? As, and then I'm like, now we're talking. <laughs> now we're mm-hmm. now we're getting, you know, to like the 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 next level uh, where because at the end of the day, we want people to be the best version of themselves. And if you're just doing this on a quarterly basis or a yearly basis, you're not really, you know, getting the practice. Like for example, you wouldn't go to the gym, work with a trainer, invest all this money, and then say, all right, cool, I got this down, I'm good. No, <laughs> because what's going to happen is you're going to go back to, you know, your homeostasis, the way that you've done before. And so it requires ongoing practice. Yeah. And I think that's uh, slowly, maturely a collective awakening that organizations are finally starting to have. The crux of my career has been in learning and development and leadership development and really how do we help people transform? Transformation doesn't happen in a four hour workshop. It happens over time with reinforcement, with opportunities to practice. And so it's nice that you've got this wedding of the palette, but then they're like, oh, wow, we need more. And we need to infuse this into our long-term strategic plan in order to really see the benefits. And that's, that's what we need to shift into. So I'm so glad you're starting to see that interest, especially post-pandemic, because it's quite a journey to get there. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of that in your own work. I, I have. And one of the, so one of the benefits of this, so people might say, Oh, that's interesting. But like, so what? Well, I'll tell you. So what uh, I was working with an organization, we had this amazing experience planned out and we're, we're in the middle of it. And we're doing this activity that was geared towards showing people that they can't multitask. That was the intent of this activity and it was going great. And we're in the debrief and we're, we're talking about, all right, cool. what did you learn? All right. I learned that I can't uh, hold two things, you know, in focus at the same time. Great. And then this person raised their hand. I later learned that this is a very important VP in this organization. And she said, this experience that we just did in this activity reminded me of my day to day. And I said, oh, please uh, elaborate. And so she's talking about how prior to this, she thought her job as a leader was to essentially, you know, be more of that traffic controller and, and do everything. However, it was extremely exhausting and she wasn't doing her best work. She wasn't allowing her team to do their best work. She was being a bottleneck and she learned through this activity that things need to shift. And I was like, oh, wow. And, and then because of that, the team was able to brainstorm how things could shift. Now, this happened in something seemingly unrelated, but everything is all connected. But this person felt comfortable bringing this up in front of her peers, in front of her direct reports, and then brainstorming as a team solutions. Whereas, um, and I learned later that, you know, she, this person, had against them like some people thought that um this person was a micromanager and and all these other things again you know that she thought she was doing her best work some people weren't happy and if 
any other sort of context, you know, she might have been addressed for that and she might have got defensive because she's thinking she's doing what she needs to do. However, in a playful experience, she felt comfortable realizing, oh, there's a different way. Boom. It opened up. It opened up that uh, opportunity in her brain and and then they they brainstormed it. And I checked back in with them later. Things are going smoothly. Again, that I don't think that would have happened had they not had that playful experience to experiment. Right. I think that's so significant in terms of what your work has the power to do is lower defenses, bring in that openness, allow people to see where there is another way, where there is opportunity, but not in an admonishing way, in a punitive way, but in a, hey, let's have fun, let's experiment, and let's see what comes out. Well, suppose I'm a leader and I am loving, I read your book, I want to bring some things into my team because, well, Gary's made such a good case for bringing play in. And yet I don't necessarily have the psychological safety in my team yet because we haven't, we haven't done anything like this yet. Do you have any advice on creating a safe container for teams to start engaging in play more at work? Well, <laughs> play is, I like to say, is that catalyst for it. And so if you were a leader and you're like, all right, we were having bickering and it doesn't feel like people feel safe as the leader. You need to, you know, walk the walk, you know, what can you do to you know, show some vulnerability to first allow your team to realize, Oh, it is safe to be vulnerable because uh, you can tell your team, Oh, I'll be vulnerable. But if you're not modeling it, it's going to be challenging for other people to do it as well. So that's the first thing, you know, expressing, you know, what you're seeing. And then two, start small. When I was, you know, first learning about this, again, this was before I even knew the benefits of this. I just brought an activity here and there to the group. So what can you sort of sprinkle in to start to get that playfulness out there? Um, you know, is it before a meeting? You can do something that is bringing people together, um, like a really fun check-in, uh, you know, where you go around, you know, this is Again, a fun thing that I like to do with groups is as a way to just see where everyone is and it's very playful and it's fun. Um, you know, everyone describes their current feelings as if it was the weather. So, you know, I call it the weather report, you know, and then someone, you know, would say, oh, you know, my my current emotional state um, as if it was the weather is a little bit cloudy, but the sun is sprinkling through. All right, cool. You know, someone might say, oh, dark and stormy chance of tornado. Ooh, all right, cool. You know, and, and from that, then as a leader, you might want to check in with certain people, but it gives everyone a chance to see where they are. And it's very easy, easy access, uh, easy barrier to entry rather than, again, like, oh, we're going to do this really fun thing. And, and people are like, oh, I don't know about this because, they again, they don't have that level of psychological safety. But once they start to see this behavior modeled and they, they start to experience it little by little, they're going to be more willing to do more broad things. Yeah, starting small, just as we've been talking about, acknowledging the level of vulnerability that it does take and it will require from you as a leader and role modeling the way to show others this is this is acceptable. Not only is it acceptable, but it's actually encouraged and it makes us stronger as a team. There is so much in this book, Gary, and there's so much 
even in the title that you chose to use rebellion. I think now more than ever, rebellion is what we need, pushing against societal norms and the way things have always been done, challenging the status quo is absolutely essential. And you've given us a guidebook on how to do that and make our lives more fulfilling in the process. So my final question before we get into rapid fire is how can more people join the play rebellion? Yeah. So if, if you're here, this and, and this is uh, calling to you, you can go to playfulrebellion.com or go to my site, breakthroughplay.com. And that's where you can uh, sign up. I can give you some resources. If you happen to get the book, there, you know, is a way to like, quote unquote, join the community uh, where I do various play challenges um, just to help you practice these things. Um, it is a practice. It is not, you know, it's something that over time, you know, if you don't do, you will atrophy. Um, and so I invite people to come as they are, um, take what, um, you know, what is calling to them, leave the rest. Uh, but the end result is that we are the best version of ourselves so that we can do the best work that we're here to do. Yes. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for writing this manual for us. Let's get into our rapid fire questions. You know, this is the trailblazing and color podcast. We interview trailblazers. You are a trailblazer and we've had role models. So I want to know who trailblazed the path for you, Gary. Ooh. Uh, so naturally one of the first people that comes to mind, you know, um, are my parents and their parents coming before me. I am, you know, a black male. Um, and I know my parents, uh, they grew up and their parents grew up in a time where it was very challenging, um, you know, to be your true self. And I don't take that lightly, you know, and I honored that they were doing the work, um, that allowed me to be here. Uh, so that's first and foremost. Um, and then, um, you know, all of the mentors that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself that encouraged me to keep exploring. One of the big ones that comes to mind is one of the very first bosses that I had when I, you know, after I graduated, his name is Larry Van Doren. He helped me to realize that, all right, you can be yourself. You have something special and, and keep working at it. And then, you know, the people that I like to call the, you know, mentors from afar, especially in the play community, Dr. Stuart Brown, one of my close mentors, Gwen Gordon, you know, that started changing the way that we see play. Um, Jane McGonigal, you know, being another one. We can't do it without community, without support. And I'm so glad that you've had that. And we are reaping the benefits. And you know, I'm an avid reader. So I always ask this question. What's a book you've read that changed the way you think about other people and or the world? I, and the reason why I'm having such a hard time, because there are so there are so many books out there. Um, and it's it's hard to pick one. But one that is coming up, it's on curiosity. And it's called Curious, question mark. And the author, Mr. Kasten, um, he talks about curiosity as a trait that we undervalue. And if we can tap into our curiosity, it can really help us overcome 
uh, things like anxiety. Um, it can help us uh, connect deeper. And it, it's something that I, I think we all need to tap into more. Uh, and I know that's a hard question. If, if I talk to you in three weeks, you might have a totally different answer. I know I Agreed. would, but selfishly, I'm just building a great book list. <laughs> and I can't wait to read that one. All right, Gary, what are you most excited about right now? <laughs> As of this recording, uh, I'm most excited uh, to welcome my soon-to-be son number two into the world. My wife is due in a few weeks. And so, yeah, it's been a long time coming. Um, and so we, we are super excited to meet him. So that's what I'm excited about. Aside from that, you know, professionally, I'm just excited that we're starting to, to gather again, you know, safely. And I'm excited to see what is going to become of that. And, and yeah. Mm, congrats on baby boy number two. By the time this episode comes out, you will be full on dad of two. <laughs> yeah, I might not be as excited when this comes out. So I'm just putting it out right now that I am excited. Woo-hoo! I might be a yeah. little bit more exhausted then. But yes, I'm still excited. Still playing, still having fun. Well, you shared how people can join the rebellion. Where can people follow along with you and also keep up with Breakthrough Play in case they're interested in engaging with you? Yeah. If you're on the social medias, you can find me uh, at Gary Ware. I'm most active on Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, but I'm on most of the social channels. Perfect. And we'll share all of that in the show notes so you can click and easily find Gary, get a hold of him, bring more play into your organization's and your life and all of your relationships. Parenting is another one where both parents and woo, kids help you with that for sure. But sometimes we get stuck in our own, uh, in our own ways. So thank you for this conversation. Thank you for this book, this gift to all of us that will help us really bring more play and bring more joy into our lives. Thank you, Gary. My pleasure. No, thank you. If I can just honor you for a moment, thank you for bringing these voices out and elevating them. Um, you're doing amazing work and and we appreciate you. Aw, ended on the best note. All right, Gary, thank you so much. And everyone, go check out Gary and make sure you get some more play planning into your day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast Bestie team, led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Gene Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad.